So today's reading is taken from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verse 1 to verse 10. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you. Thanks for that reading. Let's just pray before uh, we look at this. Father, we thank you for um, this letter. Father, we thank you for, for Paul's journey and all that, Lord, you can speak to us through it, Lord. We pray that our hearts uh, would be open to what you want to say, to what you're doing, to what you want to highlight, where you want to work. And that, Father, we would come out, Lord, having looked at this and having encountered you, more like you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I just want to add my welcome to Dave, as if I've not met you. Uh, my name's Paul, uh, and I'm one of the ministers here at the church. Do come and say hi uh, at the end. It'd be great to, to meet you. When I was looking at this letter and thinking about some of the things that Paul is mentioning in it, I was reminded about my great grandma. My great-grandma, Annie Fearon, apparently was a bit of a legend, and I'm only just finding out now why. There's some photos of her that we can flick through. I think there's a picture of me with a little body warmer on, which, um, there you go, the body warmer, there I am. I think that was her 90th birthday, something like that. But we referred to my great-grandma as mother. She was just known to us as mother. And she never really did speak about her spiritual experiences, and I think there was quite a few. She never really did tell us uh, amazing stories about what God was doing and had done in her life. We always kind of th found it out through another person. And this week, I've been calling my mom and finding out more and more stories about my great-grandmother. See, my great-grandmother would invite people in. She would in invite her neighbor in, the postman, the milkman, the delivery person, the person who was delivering the newspaper, and then she would always invite them to sit in front of her. She had this little stool, this little um, chair that people would just sit there, and she would just always tell them about Jesus. 
I think she led me to the Lord three times when I was a teenager over the course of my life. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus. But she would just always speak about Jesus. And some of the stories after she died were just incredible. She talks um, about Jesus to anyone that, that she met. She used to pray in the morning, Lord, do you want me to go left down this street or do you want me to go right? Is there somebody on the right that maybe needs to hear about you this morning? And she would kind of listen and try and get a sense, probably got it wrong numerous times, but occasionally would go to that way and have a conversation about Jesus at the bus stop, somebody that was in need. She would work with the homeless people and raise money for organizations and charities that worked with them. But she never really spoke about these things. It was always things that you would hear from other people. I was speaking at a new wine conference in the north of England uh, years ago, and after my talk, this guy came and said, I'd like to speak to you at the end. And I thought, oh, great, what have I said? What, what list of heresies have I said? <laughs> what is he going to pull me up about? He said, oh, I'd love to talk to you about your great-grandma. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and he said, because I remember your great-grandma. Your great-grandma used to stand in the marketplace and speak about Jesus. And I was like, wow, did she? I never knew that. He said, she was really inspiring. My mum told me that my great-grandma mother, she, she dreamt about heaven, a little bit like we, we read in verse four there, taken to a new place. She would describe heaven and, and all the things that she saw to people in great detail. Just before she died, apparently um, she um, was lying in bed and Jesus appeared to her, whether in a dream or in the room, but she sat up and she said, Jesus, is that you, Jesus? And every time she said the word Jesus, he came closer. Jesus, and closer. Jesus. Incredible stories um, that I'm finding out about her um, as, a, as a legend that she could go on and boast it about. She could have listed. She could have wrote a book about these things. But you would have had to dig and, 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 and actually pry and push to get these stories out of her. One thing that actually we did know is that mother carried many thorns. She didn't have uh, an easy life, and despite all these amazing things, she had a wrestle uh, going uh, through her life. She had to get up at 4 a.m. every morning to cope and to deal with everything. See, she had six children by the age of 26. Let's just pause there. Six children by the age of 26. After her husband returned back from war, he developed a drinking problem. And all the money that she earned through working really hard, he just drank at the pub. So she struggled financially. She then developed glaucoma in one of her eyes and lost her eye, and she actually had a glass eye and all bruising around her face. She was trapped in the frailty of a weak body, but her mind was still active. So she would sit and polish her handbag and polish the side of the, so the chair arms and stuff that she was in constantly want to talk about Jesus, but her body was frail because she was 94, and she lived until she was 94. I was reminded of her life, the things that she'd experienced, but also the thorns that she carried growing up and through her life. And the context for this letter is that the Apostle Paul is talking about boasting about the things of God. The context is that the Apostle Paul has got quite a difficult relationship with this church in Corinth. It's quite a bit of a wrestle, quite a bit of a struggle. The letters that he's wrote, commentators talk about it as being the tearful letters. Is that a painful visit to Corinth, to the church that wasn't very fruitful? Seemingly, his letters are a bit more fruitful than his visit. 
But he's been writing some letters challenging some of these super apostles, as it's kind of been sarcastically uh, they've been called, these false teachers who are lifting themselves up, bigging themselves up. They were almost airborne, if you like. They were elating, elevating themselves and saying, wow, look at all my credentials. And they would list all these things about how great they were, the things that they'd done. And, and Paul uh, is challenging these things. The culture at the time was kind of, if you were um, doing great things, if you were doing the right sermon, if you were in the right places, mixing with the right sort of people, then you were worthy to be a leader, then you were amazing, then you will be elevated. Jonathan Lamb, um, in his commentary on this, said this, the false teachers fostered the delusion that in line with the culture of the day, the leaders worthy of respect were those who seemed to walk several feet above the ground. People whose spiritual life was mysterious and heavenly. Here we see the Apostle Paul kind of challenging that. And he said, I could go on and boast. I've got loads of stories. I could go on and boast. I could boast about the things that you're boasting about, the things that you think are important, the things that maybe the world or the culture or the time think is important about being a leader or about being an apostle. I could talk about that. I could go there. If you want to go there, let's go there. But I'm going to choose to be boast about my weakness. I'm going to flip it. And like Jesus, who flipped things around, turned things on its head, he said, let's talk about this. Let's talk about my weakness. Let's talk about my failures. Let's talk about my struggles. Let's talk about the times when I couldn't enter a place or preach the gospel. Let's talk about the times when I've been stoned and, um, and uh, refused entry to a place. Let's talk about the time when I've been persecuted. Let me talk about my weakness. When Katie and I lived in New Zealand, um, the Kiwi word for a sweet potato was kumara. They'd talk about a kumara, would you like kumara? And they had kumara fries, which were amazing, but it was a sweet potato. But they had this phrase, the kumara never speaks of its own sweetness. The kumara never speaks of its own sweetness. A little bit like my great-grandmother, mother, and really the Apostle Paul, he's not talking about his sweetness. He's not talking about how great he is and not trying to match them. He's deciding to defer, to talk about his weakness, about his brokenness, about his challenge, about the thorn that is in his side, about the wrestle, about the struggle. In some ways, he's saying, I'm only human. I'm only human after all. The thorn, in some ways, has kept Paul from thinking or imagining himself as being super human, super, spiritual, whether you frame it as it was from the enemy, whether it was a thing that God allowed, whether it was just the messiness of life, the thorn was kind of used as a, as a, as a point of allowing Paul to remember that he's, he's human, but also that God's grace is enough, that he needs God's grace, that he needs God's help in all of this. So to be countercultural, Paul goes after that. He speaks about his frailty, his weakness. If we look at verse 10, if we can just get that back up, we, we see in verse 10 that he says, I delight in weakness, and then he begins to list them. I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Previous to this chapter, he, he lists all the things like shipwrecked, um, lost at sea, abandoned, all this stuff, and it's quite an impressive list. 
it goes on. But again, he, he, he picks it up again in verse 10. I delight in insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. I'll talk about that because God's power is displayed in apparent weakness. I'll boast in that because it reminds me that when I get to the end of myself, I need God. When I can't do things in my own strength, I need the power of God. I need God's strength. I need God's grace to help me. So he talks about them things very countercultural and very, very challenging, I'm sure, to the people of his time because the culture were looking for strong leaders, good leaders, good communicators, people that would take things uh, by force and boast and be elevated, people that would ascend a wall, not be lowered down in a basket like a baby like we heard in a previous chapter. Apostle Paul chooses to humble himself to go after the things that are quite embarrassing, quite humiliating, the things that kind of happen, the insults, being thrown, stones, being shipwrecked, failing stuff. That's not the sort of stuff you want to be talking about, really, if you're trying to prove yourself. You don't want to be listing all your weaknesses, all the things that you can't do, all the things that have been hard. But the Apostle Paul goes after it. And he talks about this thing being a thorn. I have a thorn in my side. Now, not to take the analogy too far, uh, but I was thinking about, wow, it's interesting that he used the word thorn. And I was thinking about the crown of thorns that was put on Jesus' head. And I didn't go too far down in my thinking or my reading about this, but, but what an image of suffering, an image of humility, an image of pain and the blood that would have poured down Jesus' face, a thorn that people would have known that, oh yeah, Jesus wore a crown of thorns. But the Apostle Paul is saying, my specific thorn, this thorn that I experience for whatever reason, I don't, I don't regret or despise. I've reframed it and I've allowed God into it. So when you read around the commentaries and stuff, what is this thorn? What is the, the, the point of this? What is this actual thorn that's in inside? Well, some commentaries say that it might have been a speech problem. It might have been something similar to Moses that he's really struggling with. He's got this thorn in his side, like trying to communicate. He's got a bit of a speech problem. Some people, uh, some commentators, theologians, scholars think it might have been malaria. Some people think it might have been epilepsy. And some people thought it was an eye problem because of other passages, other letters in the Bible as well. Maybe the scales that fell from his, I don't know. But some people thought it might have been an eye problem. I don't think it would have been a glass eye like my great-grandmother, but it might have been an eye problem. But also, and probably the most obvious, the most plausible, is the opposition and the persecution that he felt and experienced. The Greek word for the word thorn that Paul uses is scallops, and scallops is the Greek word for a stake in the ground that's pinned into the ground. And that's quite an image, uh, interesting image, isn't it, when you think of an anchor point of a place that kind of doesn't allow you to go too far up and doesn't allow you to float up and think, I am a superhuman, super spiritual person. A little bit like the false prophets, the, the false uh, apostles and teachers. It doesn't allow you because actually it levels you, it keeps you earthed and ground and grounded. It keeps you anchored and saying, you know what? I'm not perfect. I get things wrong. I'm still under construction. God is still creating me in many ways. I'm anchored and I need to be aware of my need for him. I need to be fully reliant on Jesus and on God because I can't do this in my own credentials. I'll fall short for sure. 
It's interesting, if we get the verse up again in verse 8, we can read that the Apostle Paul, he's struggling with this, this issue. It's a thing that just won't go away. It's a thing that he's trying to flush out and get rid of. He says that, um, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Like three times, will you take this from me? I'm reminded of Job in the Old Testament who's just surrounded by whole sorts of afflictions and all sorts of things and he's just kind of in this um, world of pain where his advisor's saying, just curse God, just curse God and die. I'm minded of Jesus in Gethsemane where he's saying, take this cup from me. And God doesn't. And seemingly, God doesn't take the thorn away from Paul. Yeah, he's asked him three times. He's pleaded with him. But what's happened is the situation, the thorn that is in his life, the struggle, the wrestle that is going on, it's taken him to the right place because it's taken him to his knees. This difficulty, whether it's life, whether it's an ailment, whether it's persecution, whatever it is, and life is messy, life is painful, you just have to look around what's going on in the world. He hasn't allowed that to break him or to disable him, to be able to minister, to disarm him. He hasn't allowed him to stop him. He's allowed it to take him to his knees in prayer. And he's taken him to the right place. He's saying, Lord, I need you. I need your grace. I need your grace in this. You know, sometimes God doesn't always speak peace to the storm, but sometimes he speaks peace to us in the storm. Sometimes the waters still rage on. Sometimes pandemics still happen. Sometimes war breaks out. Sometimes life is messy. Life is painful. And we don't see it subsiding. And we don't see a change. But what we experience uh, is sufficient grace. Enough grace for this. Okay, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't know where it's from. I don't know what it's about. But I receive your grace. I receive your peace in the middle of the storm. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, loud and louder. Your grace is enough more than I know. We sing these songs, don't we? Paul didn't allow this thorn as well to define him. He didn't label himself of it. So oh, I'm the guy with the thorn. I'm this guy sort of thing. I don't know if you ever watch Come Dine With Me. I don't want to slam it, but um, I quite enjoyed it. But I was always intrigued by the narrator of Come Dine With Me because he, he would always say stuff like, psoriasis-stricken John is making a nice curry today. Or he'd always start with the ailment of the person. It's like, single mom, single mom Claire is cooking up an amazing uh, curry this, mor- uh, this morning for her guests it was always going after the thing of like he'd label the person, what they were going through, what they were struggling with, their um, ailment, whatever it was, and then he would come in with their name and what they were cooking, and it used to wind me up. It was like, they're more than that. You can't define them by the thing that they've said they're going through in life. For Paul, his specific setting is unique to him. And I, and I don't want to belittle all that's going on in the world, and I don't want to uh, belittle terminal illness, and I don't want to belittle things that are difficult, and I don't want to belittle the thorns that we carry because I know that they're hard, and sometimes we don't see resolve, we don't see breakthrough this side of eternity. We see the, the kingdom of God breaking through now and not yet, and it's bumpy and it's patchy, and it's like the, the fence that's like there's a bit of wood, and then there's a gap, and there's a bit of wood, and then there's a gap, and we see God's kingdom come, and then it does not, and then someone gets well, and then someone doesn't, and, and it's messy, this side of eternity, and I don't want to belittle it, but I want to look at Paul's unique, specific situation, and just for him, what he's saying is, I'm allowing this situation 
whether it's from the enemy, whether it's from God, whether it's just life, I'm allowing it to take it to my knees. And if God isn't gonna take it away, then he doesn't, and he seemingly doesn't, I'm just gonna allow him to um, use it and for me to run to him and to rely on him. But I'm also gonna receive his grace to continue despite it and in the middle of it to keep going. And I think as well, the Apostle Paul, because of all that he's going through, he has the authority and the passion and the conviction to speak to others. Like, it'd be quite difficult for the Apostle Paul to speak to some of the Christians who were being persecuted at the time, who were being robbed, who were being beaten, who were being uh, in prison, who were being persecuted. It'd be quite hard for him to say, oh, keep going, guys. You know, uh, I'm sure it's hard, um, but, but keep going. If he was sitting in a nice cushy castle somewhere and hadn't experienced anything at all. It'd be quite hard, wouldn't it, to, to kind of speak with conviction and, and, and to empathize with someone if he'd not been through it himself. It'd be quite hard for him to write letters to encourage people if he actually himself hadn't been through it, being down the hall and knowing the way out. It's interesting that this setup, this situation, has actually worked for him because he can speak to those. He can use it for God. For me... Um, when I lost my dad eight years ago, I found myself having conversations with people who'd lost a parent. And whilst that was both a burden, it was also a blessing, because I was still working it out as well. And it's easier now to speak about my scars than it is to speak about my wounds when it was painful. But what I found was that because of all that I was going through and the grief counseling that I was experiencing and, and the questions that I had, that when I was in front of somebody who was going through the same thing, I had the grace, the patience, the peace, and the hope for them because I'd been through it and was going through it and journeying it through it as well. And whatever the thorn is for the Apostle Paul and however you want to frame it, God's using it and can use it, and that's incredible. He can use all things. Jonathan Lamb uh, in his commentary says this. This is the central theme of his entire letter, that weakness is the opportunity for the power of prayer, uh, power of Christ, sorry, to dwell in him. It means abiding in Christ, going to him, meditating upon him, understanding our union with him, and living his life. I know we always bang on about this, but I'm a uh, fascinated by the pearl. I've used this before, but just wanted to bring this, but the fact that grit would get into uh, this oyster, the pearl, this grit would get in, and you just it would just be trying to flush it out, flush it out, flush it out, get rid of it. I want an easy life, I want an easy life, get rid of it, can't be here, get rid of it, just take it away, take it away. And in all of that, the fluid that is created to try and flush out the grit that has gotten in produces a pearl. And I wonder whether the thorn that is in Paul's life, in his side, that the journey as he walks with this, that he's trying to flush out, actually God may be just producing a pearl. He might be doing something special in it because he knows and he understands pain, he understands difficulty, he knows unanswered prayer. He's prayed three times, will you take it away? He knows grace. He knows sufficient grace. He needs the grace of God in it. So if you uh, have a thorn, if you think, oh, this is a wrestle, it's a struggle, maybe you're really struggling at the time, at the moment, with everything that's going on, can we allow God into that space? Will, it, will we allow it 
to take us to our knees, to take us to the right place, not just defining ourselves because of this condition or the situation, not allowing it to consume us. Will we allow ourselves to take it to prayer and take it to God? Can we allow God to speak to us in the midst of it? Maybe speak peace, hope, life, grace in the middle of it. Can we cry out to God? Can we be emptied and humbled and, and, and empty ourselves of all the stuff that we try to kind of fix things and say, okay, God, you know what? I need you. I need you. I haven't seen the breakthrough that I wanted. I haven't seen the answered prayer that I wanted, but I believe that your grace is enough to sustain me, to keep me going, to cover me, to rest upon me, as the Apostle Paul says in that letter. The power of Christ would rest upon him, to rest on him. Will we allow God to do that in the middle? And can we turn it round? Can we reframe it and use it for good to love the people in front of us? To, to, to allow God to be speaking to us in it and through us to other people? Can we choose to do that? Let's just end with the final verse, verse 10 then. My grace is sufficient for you. This was the answer that he got. God didn't say in the answer, yeah, okay, Paul, yeah, I will, I'll take, I'll remove that thorn. You're right, yeah, that is difficult, that is hard. Uh, let me just, give me, give me a moment, you know, we'll, we'll sort that out, yeah. He just said, look, my grace is, is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Like, Apostle Paul's in a good place, even though seemingly on paper it doesn't look, he's in a good place, because he knows he needs God. He's in a good place because he knows he needs the grace of God. He needs the power of God. He knows his weakness. He knows his uh, frailty and he knows his limitations. He's at the end of himself and he finds God at the end of it. I'm just going to invite uh, just the band just to come up and we're just going to come to God and maybe that's the journey for us. It's maybe not physically getting on our knees, but coming to God in prayer, coming to God in response, coming to God saying, God, I'm aware that I need you. I don't want what's going on to define me. I don't want it to hinder me. I want to keep going in your power, in your strength, with your grace, knowing that you are all that I need, that my grace is sufficient for you, that you are my rock, you are my cornerstone, that Jesus you are my everything and my all. You're all that I need and more. Just invite you, if you're able, just to stand. I'm just going to pray and lead us into response. Maybe you want to uh, close your eyes just for a moment. It might help you just focus on all that maybe God has been speaking to us about at this time. We know that you're here. Let me just invite you, Spirit of God, just to come closer still. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to just adopt a position of putting your arms out in front of you to say, God, I, 
I'm open to receive from you, to take hold of the grace maybe that I need at this time. Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit, more of you. Come, Lord Jesus. And I just see, maybe my mind's eye, but I just see almost like the Spirit of God just coming down and tending to people. This picture of like angels bringing what would be like a white blanket or a comforter, a duvet, and just placing it over your shoulders. The power of Christ resting on you. Lord, where it's been tough and hard for people, would you just come and give your grace? Let them receive your grace. Where people feel weak, Lord Jesus, we pray that, Lord, we would receive your power and that it would be made perfect, Lord Jesus, in this moment, in this time. We can't do it alone, Lord Jesus, in our own strength. We need you, God. Jesus, come. Come, Lord God. Yeah. And again, just, just this picture of, for some of us, it's almost like we've been banging our head against a wall and we've, we've developed a bruise. It's like, Lord, I just wish you would break through in this area. I wish there'd be an answer to prayer how I imagine it being answered. And it just hasn't happened. For whatever reason, this side of eternity, we've just not experienced that breakthrough. And God's saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My power's made perfect in weakness. So come, Holy Spirit, empower us, strengthen us, encourage us, give us hope. Lord, we need you. We look to you. We come before you, God. As we worship, sing in the middle of the storm, as we lift our eyes and our hearts to you, would you rest upon us, fill us with your grace and all that we need, Lord, and fill us with that hope, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are at work. In the midst of all that is going on, you are at work. You are alive and you are well and you're not phased. You're not wobbled. You're not scared. And the things of the kingdom can't be shaken. Jesus, come. Come, Lord God. Jesus, come. Come. And I might be wrong, but I just have this picture just of almost like, for some of you, it's like you're feeling like there's a hand upon your shoulder. It's like just the hand of God just coming, drawing alongside the paraclete, the one that comes alongside and just rest his hand upon you. Lord, we can't physically do that. I can't come down. We, we're not going to lay hands on one another here at this moment. But Jesus, you can. Would you come, Jesus, and place a hand on the shoulder of people now that need you? Let them feel the weight and the heaviness of your hand upon them, the heat of your hand Jesus, come. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come, Jesus. Let's just come before him in worship now and experience and encounter all that he might want to do. Receive his grace at this time.